0: You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Good morning, church. Good morning, early service. It's good to see you. I was talking to someone last Sunday, and, and I said, man, I'm learning. We're, you know, six weeks or so now into having two Sunday services, and I'm learning that the second service gets a more uh, polished sermon because you've you know already done it once, but the first service gets the unfiltered version. So, uh, you know that maybe is a little more fun. So glad you're here this morning. Thanks for joining us even uh, early this morning. If you're a guest with us and you don't know me, my name is Jordan. I'm one of our pastors here, and really glad that you're here. We have been studying the book of First Corinthians this entire uh, most of this year, and we're going to push pause on our study of First Corinthians for two weeks. Uh, for a bit of a standalone series, a short little series here that we hope will be an equipping series. Um, Why are we doing this? Why are we pushing pause on 1 Corinthians and and stepping into this series that we're calling A Generous People? Well, a couple of reasons. One is that it's pretty normal for us as a church to uh, engage in what we call an equipping series every year. We've done this Uh, We did this last year with a series we called In the Storm, where we built out a theology of suffering and how do we endure as God's people. 2021, we did this uh, around practices of spiritual renewal and how do we commune with God in a chaotic world. And so it's pretty normal for us to take some time to scratch an itch or to work a weak muscle in our church body. But there's another reason. Also, our, our elders felt like that, that we're in an interesting season in the life of this church and that this was a good time in our, in our sermon calendar to push pause and work to really locate ourselves together. What do I mean? Well, you know how this works, right? Days can turn into weeks and weeks turn into months. And before you know it, life just is kind of going on and you look up and you're like, where, where, where am I? Like, where are we right now as a family or where am I in life? And this can also happen to us collectively as a church. And uh, there certainly has been a lot going on uh, in our church family. God is doing a lot. And so we just wanted to push pause and really do that, locate ourselves. Like, where are we? What is God doing in our midst? What is he asking of us right now collectively as a people? And so let's start there. Where are we as a church? Um, We have been in this really exciting and encouraging season of growth and multiplication and I just want to say praise God for that you know praise God God is at work in our church he has been at work in our church God has been adding to our numbers here Uh, we got to the end of the summer and we were just completely out of space in this room and in our parking lot uh, in our kids ministry and so we had to add an early service to make more space because God's been at work he's adding to our number and praise God for that but not only has God been adding to our number but God has been doing this incredible work of multiplication through our church um, this church, even as a kind of a small, medium-sized church, has been, by God's grace, really strong. When I was in high school, I, I played high school football, and we had a, a player on our team that our coach called Pocket Hercules. He called him Pocket Hercules. He, his name was uh, Johnny. Johnny was Johnny Thornton. Johnny was about 5'3", 200 pounds. He was like a bowling ball, and he played center. And coach called him pocket Hercules because he would snap the ball and then he would, you know, smash the nose tackle who was double his size. And then he'd get up off after blocking that guy and he'd chip the middle linebacker. And then before you know it, he would be pancaking the free safety. He blocked three guys on one play. So coach started calling him pocket Hercules. He's like, man, you're the strongest little guy that I could fit in my pocket. And, um, and in many ways, this church has kind of been a pocket Hercules. Like God has done a lot through us over the last 10 years. Um, more recently, we've not only been growing here, but, but we've been in a season of multiplication. If you're, if you're new at this, you might not know this, but in 2022, we were able to send out two church planting teams from this, from this church. Two new churches were planted from this church. We sent out key leaders and servants and faithful givers here at Redeemer Round Rock to establish two new churches, one in Hutto, Redeemer Hutto, and one in Georgetown, Redeemer uh, Georgetown. There's a, yeah, an image of, this is Redeemer Georgetown a, a few weeks ago. They're meeting at the YMCA, and they're growing, and God is working just you know a few miles that way. A new church is impacting that community that was a ripple effect from what God is doing here. Redeemer Georgetown, they're meeting in the, in the theater on the square in downtown Georgetown this morning. They'll start at 10 a.m., and same thing, God is impacting that community. It was sent out from here. And so we've been in this really exciting season of addition and growth and multiplication. Praise God. Praise God that he's using our efforts and that he's blessing this church. Another obvious sign of growth and multiplication here at Redeemer has been with our kids and with our youth. There are 90 children who are a part of our kids ministry on a regular basis here at Redeemer. That's incredible. 90 kids who are learning the truth about who God is and who are being nurtured in their faith. There are around 20 youth who are meeting regularly in our youth gospel community. And I cannot overstate what a great, what great ministry is happening in those spaces. I'm so encouraged by what Jody is doing along with the volunteer teams that she's built to impact our students and our kids. I can't overstate how important and how impactful that ministry is right now. Listen, we're not just providing childcare. It's an opportunity for us to equip the next generation of the church through the the kids and the youth that are among us. In fact, Last month, I got to go teach our youth at their youth gathering, and there were about 20 high school and middle school students in the multipurpose room back there, and they were playing some fun games, and the volunteer team were doing stuff. And I was just kind of standing in the back, waiting to teach, uh, watching my sixth grader, making sure that he wasn't causing too much trouble. And as I was just sitting there watching and observing this room full of students, and then I was thinking about, there's there's 26 third through fifth graders in this church. So that next wave that's about to move into middle school and high school, I was standing back watching it, thinking about all that, and I just began to pray. I said, God, would you use us, like this group, would you, from this group, would you raise up the next generation of leaders in your church, the next generation of mothers and fathers who love you and who serve you, future pastors and missionaries and disciple makers. I mean, what an incredible opportunity. That we have. What an incredible thing that God is doing. And you see the multiplication and the growth that God has put before us. Where are we as a church? What is God doing among us? He's inviting us and allowing us to impact the next generation. He's growing our church. And the last thing that I'll mention about the growth that we're experiencing in this season is in our gospel communities, right? It's not just that people are are joining us, more people are joining us on a regular basis here on Sundays. But people are wanting to get connected and get involved in really the heartbeat of our church, which are our gospel communities. All of our gospel communities are busting at the seams. They're bursting at the seams right now. If you're in one, you know that. And so uh, it's incredible. People are wanting to dig deeper into life in community and really follow Jesus with other people. And so we're encouraged. Listen, um, the the most recent Barnum. And LifeWay research is telling us that right now in the United States, 70%, nearly 70% of churches are declining. 70% of churches in America are declining. And by God's grace, we humbly celebrate that he is choosing to use, he's using us right now. He's blessing us. We are, we're, he's adding to our number. He's multiplying our impact. Praise God for what he's doing among us. Now, with all of that said, if I can be honest for a moment, there's another side to that coin. There's another side to the coin of a season of growth and multiplication, and that means that there's a lot of need right now. We're faced with a lot of need, and we're aware of our limitations as a church. We've experienced growing pains in some ways. Uh, by the end of the summer, we maxed out this space, and so we needed to make more room and adding another service. There are, there's currently a need for volunteers in our kids ministry. We talked about those 90 kids that are back there every week. Uh, we, we, we have a significant need there. We need 12 more volunteers to even be able to staff our kids ministry every week. And so we have a lot of our elementary age kids who are in the gathering with us right now, simply because we just don't have teachers. We don't, we don't have uh, volunteers to staff that. We need folks who will feel equipped Our gospel communities are bursting at the seams. And so we need people who either feel equipped or who are willing to get equipped in order to step in and step out and lead gospel communities. To say, I'm gonna actually look beyond just my own life and my own family and friends, and I'm gonna start to look to other people in the church to step in and love them and walk with them and lead them in community and on mission. We shared this at our last partner meeting but we are also experiencing financial need as a church. For the first time in the history of Redeemer, and so in 11 years, for the first time, we are currently in a budget deficit. We're in a, we're in a, significant, a pretty significant deficit. We, we shared at our partner meeting in April that we are facing, an, that in April, so as, as we were kind of looking at the first few months of the year based on our projections from previous year giving, and we, we looked up in April and we said, man, we are trending, we're trending behind uh, and, and then by April, we were in an $80,000 deficit on the year, and we tried to do everything we could not to panic as elders, but to trust God, and by God's grace, we brought those needs to the congregation at a partner meeting, and by God's grace, we've seen that deficit shrink, and by your generosity, we've seen that deficit shrink to about $40,000 deficit as of today but that's still a significant need that impacts our ability to fund the missionaries globally that we're committed to to support the nonprofit mercy ministries in our city to operate uh, and meet our ministry needs here as a church it's significant that's a lot of need isn't it are you with me Uh, do you feel that i feel that it's a lot of need we need more space in our building we need more volunteers we need more leaders we need more cash (laughs) to operate as a church that's a lot of need and I've wrestled with this. Our elders have wrestled with this. What do we do with this? I know that many of you that are committed here, you've felt this as well. I know that all of you can relate even in your own personal life, maybe in the businesses that you run or in your family, that you, you realize there are times in your life where you go, God, I know that you're at work and I know that you've promised, but like, what do I do with these limits that I feel? I'm limited. I'm not God. What do I do? And that's where we are as a church. We're overwhelmed by his grace and the work that he's doing among us. And we're asking the question, what do we do with all of the need that we have? What do we do? Well, I want to, over the next two weeks, point us to three things. So if you're taking notes, I hope you are. Three things that we ought to do collectively and individually when we bump up against need in our life. Our own neediness. Number one, We remember who God is. Number two, we receive his promises. And number three, we respond in faithfulness. We remember, we receive, and we respond. We're going to primarily look at those first two today, and we'll get more into the third one next week. I want to pray for us, and then we'll dig deeper into these three things. Let me pray. God, we turn to you now and we simply say thank you for the grace and the gift of the local church to be a part of your people, to be meaningfully invested and involved in what you're doing in a community and in the world. And we pray now, Father, that our hearts would be glad and give thanks to you for your abundant grace that you've shown toward us as a local church. And as we enter into these next two weeks, considering our need and what it looks like for us to respond faithfully to that need, I simply pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to the magnitude of your grace and that you would move our hearts and our hands to respond in faithfulness. We pray to you, Lord, now as we open your word, that you would speak to us today. We say to you, God, we want you here this morning in this space. We invite you here. We need you here. Would you meet with us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I grew up with, a, with Southern grandparents on my mom's side of the family. My grandpa on my mom's side of the family uh, is from Louisiana. And um, my grandparents, uh, we called them Mama and Papa. And if you have a mamma and a Papa, you're either Southern or you're a hillbilly. And so uh, we fit that category. So I had a mamma and a Papa, And um, when we were over at their house, they, they are some of the most loving people on the planet that I've ever met. But you know when you're when you're over at Mama and Papaw's house, um, there, there's not a whole lot of cutting up, as they would called it, as they called it, that was allowed in the house. You know if you wanted to do that, you need to go get out in the yard. Um, and so when when us grandkids would start cutting up, my Papaw, who by the way only wore overalls, and it was a coin fl- it was coin flippy whether or not there was a T-shirt underneath the overalls, um, when we were cutting up in the house, my Papaw in his overalls would come back into the back room where the kids usually played. And in this big, booming, baritone voice, he would say, boy, have you forgotten where you are? Have you forgotten where you are? And something about Papal's reminding us uh, of where we were and who he was would reset us, right? It would remind us of what, what was true and how things worked in his house. And I believe that God wants to reset us. I believe God wants to remind us of who he is, of how things work in his family. I think God wants to remind us of whose we are, if you are a Christian this morning. So who is God? We need to first remember who he is, and I want you to know that our God, the God of the Bible, is a generous God. This is who he is. It is very hard. From the first pages of the Bible, we meet a God who gives generously. We meet a a God in the beginning, creating out of the overflow of his love, out of the abundance of his glory. God is giving and God is creating the very life that, uh, the, the breath that is in your lungs, the life that you have is a gift from a generous God. God has filled the earth with his glory and his goodness. His common grace abounds despite our sinfulness. He is a giving, generous God. From Genesis to Revelation, from cover to cover, the Bible tells the story of God's lavish generosity. I don't want you to miss this. Even despite human sin and human rebellion, despite our sin and our wickedness and the evilness that exists in this world, what does God do? God continues to give, He gives. Ultimately, giving his beloved son, Jesus, who Jesus very literally pours himself out to richly bless undeserving sinners like you and me. This is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? The generosity of God, a God who gives, for God so loved the world that he gave. The gospel is the proof, the gospel is the receipt of the generosity of of God, And his generosity, I want you to know, doesn't just stop at the cross. We need to remember this. The generosity of God doesn't just stop at the cross, but it goes further still. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bible. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, the apostle Paul, is writing to the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus at the time is facing its own needs. They're aware of their own limitations. Paul is writing to them from prison, aware of his own need, of his own limitation. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus to encourage them in light of their need, in light of their limitations, to remember who their God is. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3-14, through 14, he writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In the beloved. In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. As a plan from the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In him, Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory." In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glorious grace. Paul is reminding us what grace, what lavish grace God gives Paul is writing, and that text is rather wordy, isn't it? And it's intentional. Paul is working to overwhelm us with the kindness of God toward us in Jesus. He wants us to be convinced that regardless of our circumstances, if you are in Christ Jesus, you lack nothing. Do you hear me? Regardless of your circumstances, because of Christ Jesus, you lack nothing. Paul wants us to be certain of this. Hear me, if you are in faith in Christ, you have been given every blessing in heaven, the scriptures tell us. Every blessing in heaven is yours if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you, you have been adopted by God as his child, as his son Or his daughter. This means that the God of the universe loves you with an unfading, unfailing love. Listen, you are fickle, and my heart is fickle, but God's love is unfading for you because you are his child. You lack nothing. The text tells us that if you are in Christ, there is no sin of yours that he will not forgive, and that is good news. If you are in Christ, there is no wound in your life that his redemption and his mercy will not heal. There is no need of yours that he will not meet according to his good purpose. That he's given us the Holy Spirit. His grace goes further still. He's given us his Holy Spirit who is there to seal us, the passage says. That means to sustain us, to remind us of who we belong to. He, the, the Spirit of God has been given to you and to me if you are in Christ to sustain you in every season, to keep you in his love when you wander, to equip you for every good work. But wait, there's more, Paul says. And one day, the day will dawn when you will meet Jesus face to face, and rather the holy God plummeting you by his, with his wrath that you deserve because of your sin, the God of all grace instead is going to bless you with a heavenly inheritance of eternal glory and grace. Wow. Wow. What grace. What what a generous God. And I want to ask you this morning, do you believe this? Do you believe that this is true for you? Do you have eyes to see the lavish grace that he has given to you? Are you experiencing this? That, that, that might be the, the bigger question. Are you experiencing this? You see, Paul doesn't want us to just have a, a mental exercise where we remember what's true but we aren't experiencing what's true do you know that you have a a right brain left brain reality that goes on you know your right brain is where we store information the left brain though is is that part of our brain that causes us to take the things that we know are true and really begin to experience them in our life Paul doesn't want us just to kind of store this information up here and go, oh, that's awesome. I mean, what grace. I mean, internal inheritance, every spiritual blessing in heaven, all of my sins forgiven, all of my debt paid, the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's amazing. He doesn't want us just to know it. He wants us to experience this. And so you know what he does? He begins to pray, and he gives about two chapters worth of prayer to this church. Facing their need to pray that they wouldn't just remember what's true, but they would actually receive it into their life. You see, when truth goes from our head to our heart, it really changes things for us. It it moves us. It, It transforms us. I want you to look at what Paul writes, starting in verse 16. Chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. He's saying, would, would this truth move from your head to your heart? I, I, want, I want you to know something. Did you know that 77% of people have a negative emotional image of God? In other words, 77% of people on this planet believe that God is either distant, angry at them, or critical of them. 77% of people that God is distant, so all that stuff that we just read about his incredible grace and his the 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 riches of his mercy, yeah, that's good, but it's it's distant, it's not personal. Seventy-seven percent of people, or God is angry at me. God is maybe for other people, but not for me. And Paul says, you you gotta you gotta experience the grace of God, his generosity towards you. Paul goes on and. Chapter 13, and he continues his prayer. He just can't stop praying. He's like, you gotta get this. I know I'm in prison, and I know that you guys have needs, but you have to understand who our God is. You have to experience it. In verse 14, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So he keeps praying, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. What a prayer for a people in a time of need. Paul says, don't just remember who God is like you're looking back at a yearbook. Don't just remember it like that. Paul says, receive it. He says, God's power toward us is immeasurable. Do you know how much that is? That's a lot. <laughs> his immeasurable power toward us, he says in chapter 1, verse 19. He says, God is able to do far more than you could ever ask or imagine because he is God and you are his. He's generous toward you. He loves you. In chapter 3, verse 20. You see, when we get who God is, when we receive it, when we believe whose we are, that we belong to him it changes things for us. It, it really begins to move us. In other words, when we get this, the great mercy, the, the incredible generosity of God, the great provision and promises of God, it starts to replace something in us. When we get this, it changes things for us because it replaces something in us. What do I mean? Well, you know that fear that exists in your life that's causing you to shrink back rather than to step out? You know what I'm talking about? That fear in your life it, it causes you to, to shrink back rather than to step out into something by faith? When we get the great provision and the great power and the promises of God that are ours, that thing gets replaced. That fear gets replaced. And faith, we realize what power is really behind us and what promises are really before us, and we start to step out. I just want to confess to you that... As we were walking as elders in the beginning of this year, and we were just looking at what God was doing here and the need for more ministry because more people keep coming, and we just planted churches and we want to support them and serve them and reach more people in our city, and but we're realizing like how much we're lacking. I want to be honest with you, fear inside of me was causing me to start to shrink back to this scarcity mindset rather than stepping forward by faith and believing in the power and promises of God, who is able. That needs to get replaced when we see the generosity of our God. You know that, that selfishness that's really deep-rooted in us, more than we like to admit, that, that love of comfort, that, that propensity toward kingdom-building, our own kingdom-building, self-protecting, See, when we see the the great power of God, the great generosity of God toward us, the promises of God, our future in Christ, that thing starts to get replaced. And rather than holding on, we start to let go. Because we see the generosity of God toward us. Who would I be but for God's grace? How can I not respond in faithfulness and in generosity? You, you You know that apathy, that unwillingness, That just kind of coasting, sluggish thing that's inside of us that we wrestle with. See, when we start to see the power and the promises and the provision of God, that thing starts to get replaced. Instead of causing us to miss out in apathy, God starts to call us to step in in gratitude. Are you with me? Do you see how seeing the generosity of God, receiving it, into our own lives, how it leads us to respond in faithfulness. We're going to dig into this more next week, what it looks like to respond to the great generosity of God. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ ought to be the most generous people on the planet. Who's received more than us? We ought to be the most generous people on the planet, our sins are forgiven, our future is secure, every need that we have is promised, it will be met, we'll never go without, our God is able, our God is faithful, his power is immeasurable, we're going to dig into this more next week, but what I want to do is I want to close and really set us up for next week with just a first step, a first step in faithful response to the generosity of God, and it's just a simple question that I want to ask you to honestly consider, maybe even write this down, this question down? Would you ponder it? Would you pray over it this week? And the question is this, simple question. Is there an area of your life that you are holding back from God? Is there an area of your life that you're holding back from the God of all grace, from the God of all generosity? Perhaps you're holding back a certain area of your life from him and you're, you know, you've kind of put up that off-limits sign, my, my children like to do this uh, in the house, you know, no boys allowed on my daughter's room or off-limits. You know. it, have you put up an off-limits sign? Is there an area of your life where you say, God, this is not for you? Other things, yes, but not this part of my life. Maybe there's a need. You know, th- this, this little mini-series is a corporate attempt To put our need before God and really trust Him in a vulnerable way. Maybe there's a need in your life that you're actually holding back from God. You don't think He really loves you enough to meet that need. And so you're holding it back so that you're not disappointed. Would you put that need before God? Maybe you have a need. And this series is maybe about us, but it's really about you acknowledging an area of your life that you're holding back from God and you're gonna say, God, I'm gonna trust your word. It's true that you love me this much that you might actually really meet my need and so for the first time, I'm gonna bring it to you. I'm gonna bring it to you. Are you holding back your gifts? Gifts and skills and talents that God has given you and there's no greater purpose or way that you could use them to build up his kingdom and his church and maybe you're, Holding them back. Are you holding back your time from God? You maybe will give him a couple of hours on a Sunday, but the rest of your time goes to other things. Holding back your resources and your finances. Maybe that's one of those areas where there's an off-limits sign. Listen, if you want to know what you truly love, your calendar and your bank account will testify to you. That's what will tell you, what you truly love. What do you give your time to? What do you give your money to? It's ultimately the thing you serve. And so, is there an area where we're holding back? Listen, I want to invite us this morning to faithfully and to humbly see Jesus. To see him. I hope Ephesians, just walking quickly through Ephesians 1 and looking some at Ephesians 3, would cause us to see him, not holding back from us. To see his love for us which is lavish, and his power, which is immeasurable. He's a generous God, and he's at work among us. He's at work in this church, and I believe that he stands ready to work in us, softening our hearts, loosening our hands, opening up our lives as we keep coming to him with greater faith, greater trust, and greater anticipation for what he is and will continue to do. Let's pray. Father, we want to say a heartfelt thank you for your generosity toward us. You have fashioned this world and you hold all things together, yet you are mindful of us. Wow. You are a holy God, a God of all glory and unapproachable light, but yet you call us your children. We are sinners who have fallen short in every way of your glory, and yet you've wrapped us in the righteousness of your son, Jesus. We thank you for your grace, your power and your mercy that is available to us. I pray, Father, that you would help us to come honestly to you with all of our need and that all of our hope and all of our faith would be in the fact that you are a God who keeps your promises, You are a God who sustains us in every season, and you are a God who will never fail us. Father, we wanna be your faithful people, as we sing earlier, in a world that is broken, in a world that is raging. So would you help us? Would you strengthen us? Would you nourish our faith? Would you soften our hearts? Would you open our lives? Would you loosen our hands? Would you make us a generous people that reflect your lavish grace, faithful provision to our city and to our neighbors and to our world. As we enter into a time of response, we pray, Father, that you would minister to us by your spirit through your table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.